And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we're going to do something just a little bit different. And so I, I thought, you know, a lot of folks probably maybe be thinking, hey, it's the week after the election. We're going to get a uh, an analysis and rundown of all the the things that happen. And I may do that in the coming weeks. But uh, but I've been convicted in, on, on some other things that I wanted to share with you uh, this week. And so we're going to focus. Uh, we're going to go more scripture uh, this week than we have in the past. And that's not a bad thing. But uh, but I'll get to a place of, of kind of analyzing the election, the, the, the red tsunami that, that I and many others predicted didn't come, and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, conservatives had some successes around the country in, in state legislatures and, and um, school boards and attorney generals and, um, you know, a number of different things. But, but when it comes to Congress, when it comes to the Senate and House, wasn't quite the, uh, the success that, that many forecasted, but uh, so the Republicans have lost, or, or they didn't have, they, they just didn't gain the Senate like many thought they would. And uh, it still looks like they're going to gain the House. So you're going to have a split Congress in D.C. And, and so you'll have a, a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a Republican House. Now, the, the question is, who's going to lead the Republicans in the House? Who will be the Speaker of the House? And that's up for discussion right now. Kevin McCarthy, everyone thought, would kind of be the guy to get it. And, and there's some Republicans that are that are saying otherwise. So it'll be interesting to see when, when they hold leadership elections to see who's going to head out, who's going to head the Senate, but I mean the, the House, but we don't know uh, as of yet. And so we'll, we'll have time to analyze that as some places still have yet to calculate who won. So, uh, you know, we're, we're a week away, a week out from the election and some places still don't know who won the election, which is just boggles my mind. Um, but, but I digress. What I want to do today is I've talked about this over the last few weeks and maybe months that Romans 1 has been coming to my mind and my heart over the last little bit. And, and if you're not familiar with scripture, we'll get into it here in a second. But, but as I'm thinking about culture and as I'm seeing what, uh, what I'm seeing around the country, Romans 1 just kind of keeps populating my mind. And Romans 1 talks about a number of things, but, but it also, uh, even when you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we think about our current culture. I mean, th- all of these things have been coming uh, to my mind. And so in, in this letter, Paul speaks some hard truths. And, and starting with verse 18, Paul talks about God's wrath on the unrighteous. Paul says that they have no excuse for God has shown the truth to them. Verse 22 even says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, we live in a society literally where everybody is claiming to be wise, yet we look around and we, all we see is foolishness. I mean, we just see foolishness everywhere, whether, whether it's from politicians or our culture or our TV screens. There's just a lot of foolishness. There's also a lot of unrighteousness. There's unrighteousness in our, in our culture, in our communities. There's unrighteousness in our churches. And, and the text goes further to really lay out the unrighteousness of the people. These, these verses have, have, again, been on my mind. And, and I've been thinking about it because I, I, when, when I see what I'm seeing in our culture and in our society, when I, when I see that, that even this past election you see abortion put on the ballot and the voters say we need more abortion, 
in Montana, there was a, a referendum that said if a baby survives an abortion, they they will receive care, and the folks of Montana voted against that. So when we see these things, when we see the proposal that was in Michigan that we, we talked about on this show, when we see these things and, and you see that that proposal passes that allows for abortion up to nine months, Vermont, you have, the list goes on and on and on. If, if I'm honest, there's a part of me that says, I read Romans 1 and I say, God, bring the justice to 2022. Bring the justice to our current culture. Let them have what they deserve. Give them over to themselves. Because that's what they deserve. If I'm honest and transparent with you, there are even moments where I say, no, I'm not going to go. I don't want to share the gospel with these folks because they don't deserve that. What they deserve is their, is hell. That's what they deserve. And so as I'm wrestling with these thoughts and, and this mindset and I'm, I'm seething over what Romans 1 says and I'm thinking that is where our culture is today and I'll say things like, we would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush. The Lord convicted me in that. He convicted me in that and he said, you know, he, he brought to my mind and to my heart, Jonah. And I was like, well, what, what does Jonah have to do with this? What does Nineveh have to do with this? What does a story about a dude getting swallowed up by a giant fish have to do with this? Isn't that just a children's story? Isn't that just something that, that we, we talk about when we're kids in Bible school and then we move on? And then I went and read Jonah. It's four chapters. It's not that long. And so what does Jonah have for us? I mean, does, does anyone else feel what I'm feeling, that we see our culture and we go, I just don't want any part of it. We've lost our way. How can we possibly come back from this? It seems like everything is going against those that would believe the church. Even the church is, is uh, squabbling with each other. Now we have political infighting. Republicans are fighting with each other. Democrats are fighting with each other. And then we're fighting with each other in different parties. Suicide rates are up. Canada just released that they're now going to allow doctor-assisted suicide for those that have mental health issues. So again, we're giving ourselves over to the things of the world. And so from, from the kind of, look, I've always said I was born a pawpaw. So, so I can be a little surly, you know, a little, little like, I'm just an old man, I'm angry at everything, just leave me alone. You know, there's a, there's a country song that talks about, uh, if I don't come back, don't come looking. My kids the other day was like, hey, that sounds like you, daddy, you just want to go and be by yourself. That's an indictment on me when my kids say, yeah, my dad doesn't really like people. That's an indictment on me, it's not funny anymore. But seeing what we're seeing in our culture, there is something to the fact that we we're, we're, want to wash our hands of it. We, we want to see God give the judgment to those we disagree with. But what we need to wrestle with is if he gives those people what they deserve, what about me? What do I deserve? What about you? What do you deserve? 
deserve. So I've been angry. I've been fuming. I've been worked up. I watched hours and hours on the election night and and even the the coverage that I was watching, which is which was folks on my team politically. Even watching that coverage, I was I was even sitting there going, man, this this isn't good for my soul. It's bringing me down. My wife came in and sat down and watched maybe for 30 minutes with me and said, this is the most depressing thing ever. And I, I just listened and I thought, well, it is kind of depressing. And these folks are supposed to be on my team and it's depressing. Where are we putting our hope? Where are we putting our stock? What are we, what are we looking to see happen? So I went and read Jonah. And man, did God convict me. So, so what is Jonah about? We all know the story of the big fish or a whale, Jonah being swallowed up. We probably heard a version of this story in hundreds of different ways throughout our lifetime, maybe in Bible school, maybe in kids' class growing up in Sunday school. But when I opened it up a few weeks ago, I saw it completely different. As Romans 1 was, was populated in my mind and was running in conjunction with Jonah. I'm reading that and, and the Lord is just doing a work. So let's take a look. Here's what it says in the first chapter. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them away from the presence of the Lord. So God calls Jonah. God says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh and I need you to tell them this. And what does Jonah do? He flees because he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to have anything to do with that. So he buys a fare and he gets on a ship. So he gets on a boat, tries to hide from the presence of the Lord. We've seen this before. There's no hiding Right? I mean, think about even in Genesis 3, what happens? Eve eats of the apple, gives the apple to Adam, they eat, and then they immediately realize they're naked. And what happens? They hide in the bushes. And God enters the garden. It's a big, big deal. God entered the garden. And he says, Adam, Eve, where are you at? Well, we were hiding because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? He knew all of these things. So, so our, our initial thought when the Lord calls us, at times it can be to go hide. No, you, do, you don't want me to go share the gospel to these people, God. They don't deserve the truth of your word. They deserve justice. So I don't want to go. I don't want to see their lives transformed. I don't want to see those folks change because those folks have done more to damage our society and culture than anyone. So the last thing I want to see... It's for you to change their lives and then they go and work for the movement, the gospel movement. No, I don't want you to do that, God. You can't be calling me. So Jonah ran. The interesting thing is Jonah thought he could, could hide. Well, you can't. You can't hide from God. So Jonah goes into the bottom of the boat. And then what happens? 
You know the story. The storms come. God sends heavy wind. And the people on the boat start freaking out. They are out of their mind. What is happening? They start throwing stuff overboard because they think maybe the ship's too heavy. And in the process, as they're throwing stuff overboard, they find Jonah asleep in kind of the belly of the ship. And they wake him up. What are you doing? We're, we're about to sink and you're sleeping. Who are you? And, and he tells them, I, I, I serve God. I fear God. And so they say, well, call on your God to stop this, these storms. See, the, these people on the ship are not believers. They serve a bunch of different gods. And at this point, they've called on all the gods. And none of the gods would stop the storm. And so Jonah says he serves the one true God. And Jonah, please call on your God to stop the storm. And, and Jonah says, just throw me overboard. Just throw me overboard because I'm the one that brought this storm to you in my disobedience. And then they get nervous. They're like, well, we, we don't want to throw you overboard because what if your God is the true God and we throw you overboard and then we're, he's going to hold us accountable for, for killing an innocent human. And so before they toss him overboard into the water, they, this is the crazy thing. They don't believe in his God, but they say, if your God is the real God, please forgive us for what we are about to do. Don't hold us accountable for this life. And then they toss him over. And then once he lands in the water, once he lands in the water, what happens? The seas calm. So interesting thing here, what happens to the people on the ship is when Jonah gets tossed in the water, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they were willing to do anything because they were scared for their lives. So they toss Jonah in the water and the storm cease and the waves calm. And then they go, he was. The God he prayed to was, is the God that controls all. Now, when we come back, we'll see what happens once Jonah gets in the water. I'm sure you know the story, but we'll dive into that when we come back. So as we continue the conversation, let's catch you back up. So Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm not going to do that. He flees. He gets on a ship. While on the ship, the storms come, the wind is up, the waves are crashing. The, the people on the ship start throwing things overboard. They find Jonah sleeping. They, they have this conversation back and forth. Who do you serve? Blah, blah, blah. Jonah says, look, this is my fault. I was disobedient to God. And so you just need to throw me overboard. They, they debate this amongst themselves. They question whether or not they should throw Jonah overboard. And then they say, uh, if your God is, is the one true God, please forgive us for what we're about to do. And they throw him overboard and the storm cease. And then they realize, hey, he, he was correct. He is worshiping the God that controls the waves. Jonah goes in the water. And then you know the story. Jonah is swallowed by a large fish. While in the fish, Jonah prayed and gave God glory for sparing his life. We see that in chapter 2, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what have, I, what have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and Jonah was vomited up. Now, I'll be honest. I've always pictured in my mind 
that Jonah was blown out the blowhole of a well. Now, that's clearly not theologically correct, but in my mind, I've always had that thought that, that you know, when it was time for Jonah to come out of the, the fish, he was blown out of the blowhole, and then he, you know, went from there. But, but here it says the fish vomited Jonah up. Then chapter 3 starts where chapter 1 started. God, again, tells Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah listened. So again, in chapter 3, starting with verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So Jonah goes into the city of Nineveh where they have been doing a lot of nonsense, unrighteous stuff, living in opposition to the God of the universe, doing evil. And Jonah goes in there and says, 40 days. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. So Jonah goes in there. He didn't want to go in there in the first place. So he goes in there and he tells them, if y'all don't turn into a different direction, if you don't turn from your ways, your wicked ways, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. There's nothing going to be left of you because my God has said he's going to intervene. And, and instead of attacking Jonah, what do they do? They believed him and they believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in the hands, in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So Jonah was obedient to go to Nineveh. And look what, look what God did. Jonah's thinking, look, I don't want to go to Nineveh. They're not going to turn from their ways. They're wicked people. The last thing I want to do is go to the city. Please don't send me to the city. Please don't send me to these wicked people because they, again, they need to get what they deserve. This culture that is festering, this culture that is anti-God, this culture that is anti-gospel needs to get what it deserves. Don't send me to Nineveh, God. But the second time God calls Jonah to Nineveh, God, uh, Jonah listens. And Jonah goes into the city and he says, either turn from your ways or in 40 days, y'all are going to be wiped out. Now, Jonah's probably saying this with the thought of, I'm, I'm going to say this, but we know what you're going to do. You're going to continue to do the nonsense you're doing. You're going to continue to worship your false gods. You're going to continue to do evil. And the Lord is going to give you what you deserve. And Jonah's thinking, and that's what I want to happen. So I don't want you to listen to me. 
I don't want you to turn from your wicked ways because I want you to get what you deserve. But what happens? Jonah says in 40 days, the wrath is coming. And from the least of them all the way up to the king, they fast. They pray. Even the beast will not eat. Even the animals are going to fast in this city. And in that process, God relented. God pulled his hand of wrath back. Jonah was obedient and spoke the hard truth to the people. And what happened? They heard the word and repented. So the question is, are we willing to speak the hard truth to the people? Are we willing to take the gospel not just to the nations, but to our neighbors, to our cities, to our suburbs, to our rural communities, to the states that we call home and to the states in this great union, are we willing to take the gospel truth to these folks? And then the question is, in the taking of that gospel truth, do we long for and desire heart transformation in those folks? Or do we look around our culture landscape and say, they deserve what they deserve. And I don't want to see their heart transformed. I don't want to see heart change. I don't want to see eternal differences made. I want them to get what they deserve. Anyone else seething with anger at times when you see the the news, when you, when you watch cable news, when you see what's happening in politics, when you see referendums about abortion and referendums about the things that, that make our blood boil, do anyone, do anyone of you seethe with anger? Look, it doesn't mean that we don't get mad at unrighteous things. Of course, these unrighteous things should drive us to the point of, hey, th- that's anti-God. And there needs to be change there. The problem is, I'm afraid that oftentimes when we see that, what we do is inwardly we go, man, they need, they need to be changed. But, but really what we're saying is, I just, I just want to see them wiped out. Let's just start over, God. You know what? Let, let's, just, let's just start from scratch. Because this isn't working. And, and how, do we, how do we climb this, this mountain of a, a anti-God culture? Well, we do that by bringing God in. We do that by sharing the gospel, not by seething with anger, but by sharing the gospel, by being obedient in what God would have us do. But the question is, when we see Jonah, Jonah just shared the, the news And it wasn't necessarily good news. It was just, hey, in 40 days, God's about to bring the hammer. And that news alone had them repent. And and God changed everything for that city. So you would think, Jonah, just just 150 plus thousand people just were, were spared. And so the question is, 
if, if you were Jonah in that moment, and if you were sharing some news with a, with a city, and from the least all the way to the king, they repented, would you be happy? It doesn't necessarily undo all that they have done, but, but they're now seeing life change. They're now changing a trajectory. Would you be happy? Or would you be angry that they didn't get their just due? When we come back, we'll see what Jonah thought and where Jonah fell in that. We'll talk more when we come back. To ride this train. Boy, that's good stuff. If, if you're ever having a down moment or a bad day, just listen to Huey Lewis in the news. And I know I say that a lot. And you're like, this is Joy 620, this is a Christian station, this is a Christian show. Why does he keep talking about Huey Lewis in the news? Because it always makes me happy every time I hear it. And I think that's probably because I listened to him a lot when I was a kid. And so those were happy moments for me, happy memories. But just the dude's voice, the whole, the whole thing, all of them, it's great stuff. Uh, go listen to him. But let's get back to Jonah, okay? So we, we just left off where Jonah just, just told the news. God told him to go to Nineveh. He finally said, okay, I'll go. I'll be obedient after, you know, it took a fish, took him to be thrown overboard, took a fish to swallow him, get vomited up. And then he's like, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. I got it. I hear you. And he goes and he tells them, if you do not turn your way, turn from your wicked ways in 40 days, the hammer's coming. The wrath of God is coming. And what happened? Nineveh changed their ways. They listened. And God pulled back his hand. And spared their life. And you would think, look, Jonah is a prophet here. Jonah is should walk away going, yes, God, thank you. Thank you, God. They listened and they're changing their ways. And, and this is going to change the trajectory for Nineveh forever. But, but is Jonah happy? Well, let's look at chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So Jonah was upset that he spared them. So, so Jonah gives us a glimpse that, look, the reason why I didn't want to go is because I knew this would happen. I knew it. I knew you would change their, their hearts. I knew that they would relent. And I knew that you would pull back your wrath. And God, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted the hammer to come down. And I'm not happy about it. This is why I didn't want to go. Now you could also look at that and go, well, what Jonah was just saying, if you're gonna, if you're gonna change course anyway, why do I have to go? Why do I need to be involved at all? So we find ourselves in those moments. Either we're, we're hating our culture so much that we don't want to see their lives transformed, or we get to the point of where we're just lazy. God, if you're gonna do it, why do you need me? Go call somebody else. Why do you need me to go and share the good news? Why do you need me to be obedient in this moment? I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to the city. I don't want to be around people, especially people that I disagree with and don't like, and they don't like me and they don't agree with me. Why do I need to go to them? So 
So Jonah appreciated God's steadfast love when it was directed toward him, but not necessarily to the people of Nineveh. They aren't worthy of that kind of love. They should get their just due. They're, as, as we would say, their come upness. They, they should get what they deserve. Why should they get grace? Why should they get mercy? So you ever feel like Jonah? You ever get angry because someone is saved that, that you don't think deserves saving? Can we have an honest moment here? I do. This is why God convicted me over the last few weeks. Because as I'm looking around at image bearers in our culture, I'm going, you deserve justice. And I hope God gives it to you. You ever felt like that? You see, I was faced with a hard truth and a blind spot in my life. Do I truly want to see revival and heart change in people I dislike and in a culture in opposition to what I believe in the things I hold dear? Do I truly want to see heart change? And so as I was wrestling with this, the Lord kind of reminded me, hey, hey, dummy, look in the mirror. What if you got what you deserve? You think you deserve salvation? You think you deserve mercy? You think you deserve grace? You deserve Jesus going to the cross for you? But they don't? You think you deserve all of this, but they don't? Somehow you're, you're the protected few. You're the, uh, you know, you, you have that, but they don't. They don't need me. They don't need Calvary. They don't need Jesus. So yeah, when I look in the mirror, the guy looking back at me doesn't deserve salvation either. The guy looking back at me deserves hell. That's what I deserve. But God saw otherwise. And if he can save me, he can save anyone. And and this is even what Paul was saying. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. When, When Jesus met him and saved him, he was searching for people to arrest or worse than that, possibly kill anyone that was following Jesus. That's what Saul, who became Paul, was doing. Even when when Jesus had that moment and and saved Paul's life, he then told uh, a follower of Jesus, he said, hey, go and and see Saul. I want you to go see him. And the guy was like, I'm not going to see that dude. That dude is putting us in prison. He's killing some of our brothers. He held jackets while Stephen was stoned, and you want me to go see him? Sound familiar? Hey, go to Nineveh. I'm not going to Nineveh. I don't want anything to do with Nineveh. Hey, go see Paul. Go see Saul. Now, I'm not doing that. Hey, go preach the gospel to people that, that celebrate abortion. Go preach the gospel to the culture that, that is in opposition to who you are. I'm not doing that. You're going to have to find somebody else, guy, because it ain't me. You ever responded that way? 
Jonah's wrestling with this truth continues through chapter 4. And the book ends with a question that I think we should answer today. After the Lord provides a shade tree for Jonah, he then sends a worm to kill the shade tree. So Jonah goes, and he's in the sun, and he's hot, and he's miserable, and he's just unhappy. You ever been like that? You're just, you're just angry at the world, and now it's hot, and you're sweating, and you just can't get comfortable. And so what happens? God, in his, in his favor, provides a shade tree, a plant for Jonah to sit under. And Jonah appreciates it. And he lays under that shade tree and he's like, ah, yes, some relief from the sun. And then God sends a worm to kill the tree and then the the shade is gone. And Jonah, once again, is angry. He's just full of angry. He's on edge. Is that you today? Is that is that our that, that feels like our culture? It feels like even people within our church, we're just on edge. Everybody is on edge waiting to explode, which creates anger on top of anger on top of anger. Listen to the question that God poses. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. You see, oftentimes we don't really want God to show pity on those being disobedient. We forget about our own testimony, our own struggles, our own issues, and our own fallenness. So what are we to do? We are to go and share the greatest news the world has ever known. That the God of the universe did what we couldn't do. He provided a mediator. In Jesus, to live a perfect life, die on a cross for our sins, and raise three days later. You see, he did that for you, he did that for me, he did that for the city that, and the culture that, that is in peril at the moment. He did that for Jonah, he did that for the people of Nineveh. So, so as we think about the anger that seems to be populating our culture right now, where does that anger come from? Is it, is it because people disagree with you? Is it because they vote differently than you? Is it because they, they believe they should live a certain way and you should live a certain way? Is it because you are in the rural community and they don't believe you have any, any brains to do anything? Or, or you're in the city and, and you're a city folk and the rural community knows best? What, what is it that's driving the anger? Is it because we're also bored? Everything's at our fingertips, and yet we're so bored. We're the most engaged, connected society the world's ever seen, but we're the most lonely society the world has ever seen. Is it because of that? Is it because of an election? Is it, what, what is it? Where is the anger coming from? Now, now hear me. There, there is righteous anger. There are things in this society that we should be angry about. We talk about that on this show every single week. But, but let's not miss the point that we want to see revival. We want to see hearts changed. We, we want to see dead people come to life, and that is what the gospel does. So when we're screaming at the culture and at society, hey, you, you, you need to get what you deserve. We need to look in the mirror, folks. Because what if the Lord said, hey, 
Hey, buddy, you're, you're going to get what you deserve. So these are the questions that we have to wrestle with when we see the culture the way we see it today. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, look, I, I know today was a little bit different, but, but I thought it was important to, in, in the light of the election, in light of what's going on in our culture, in the anger that seems to be creeping up everywhere. And look, maybe, maybe you're listening to this going, look, I'm not angry. You're angry, but I'm not. I, I mean, I'm not, I don't see what you're seeing. Then maybe today was just for me. But I, but I have a feeling that it wasn't. I have a feeling that, that what Jonah was dealing with, Maybe some of us are wrestling with that in our own culture today. And so the interesting thing about, about Jonah is chapter 4 just kind of ends. It doesn't, it doesn't have a follow-up where Jonah's like, you're right, God, I was wrong, and, and I, need to, I need to work on my anger issues. I'm so glad you saved the people of Nineveh. It, it wasn't that. It, was, it just kind of ends. It, it ends with God saying, do, do you care more about that plant? You have more pity for that plant than the 120, 130,000 plus people that I just spared. You care more about that plant? You, you care more about the cattle that, that I spared than the people that I spared? What, what are you doing? What, what, how does that work, Jonah? And then it just ends. It, do, it doesn't have Jonah going, thanks for bringing that to, to my Thanks for bringing that to light, God. I, I just, yeah, I've been going through a lot lately. And I, I'm really trying to work on this anger, and I'm, I'm trying to work on my, my heart toward my, my fellow man, and I'm just struggling. So thank you for bringing that. No, it didn't. It doesn't say that. It just, it just ends with God saying, you have pity for a plant that, that I brought to you one night, and then I took it away the next night. You had nothing to do with it. And you're mad because that plant's gone. It wasn't there until I brought it. And then I can take it away. But, but do you not have pity for the people that I just spared? And so as we look at that question, that what we have to wrestle with as believers is, do we have pity? Do we believe that the gospel needs to be taken to a lost and dying world or not? Do we want to see true revival? Do we want to see hearts transformed for eternity? Dead people come to life with true repentance. Now, what I'm talking about here is true repentance. What happened in the, in the city of Nineveh was true repentance. From the least all the way to the king, hey, no one is eating. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're not even going to feed our flocks. The beast will not eat. We'll put sackcloths on. We are going to show that we are repentant. We're going to change our ways and call out to God to spare us. And maybe he will. They, they knew that even if we do this, he may not spare us. But we're still going to do it to show that we want him to spare us. To show that we have turned from our wicked ways. That's true revival. That's true repentance. Do we long for that in our society and culture? Do we long for that in our rural communities? Do we long for that in our suburbs? Do we long for that in our cities? Or do we say things like, well, I don't really care much about those blue states. 
because they, they've already given in, thrown in the towel. There's no revival to happen there. Do we believe that God can't save who he wants to save? Like, do I truly believe that God could call Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, to repentance and change his life forever? Do I believe that or not? Do I want it to happen or not? Do I believe that about our president? Do I believe that about politicians? Do I believe that about the neighbor that annoys me? About the person that cut me off in traffic? About that in-law that that grinds my gears, about that cousin, about that brother, about that sister, about that sister-in-law, brother-in-law. Do I believe that God can save or not? So on this show, every single week, we talk about the issues of the day. And yes, I get worked up, and at times there's some anger there. But, but I want you to hear me right now. Our posture cannot sit and rest in that anger. So, so what we have to answer today, I like asking us questions and then wrestling with it and answering that question. Do we truly want to go to Nineveh? Do we want to go to our culture and see life's changed forever or not? Or are you going to be like Jonah in the beginning where you run and tuck tail? And then when, when we go and preach the good news and God does a work, are we going to be angry inside because... A dead person was brought to life? Or are we going to celebrate in God's goodness that he saw fit to save me? I want him to see fit to save those around me. These are the questions that gospel people must wrestle with. So are we prepared to go to Nineveh, to our culture, and see the gospel move in a mighty way? Let's answer that question in a resounding yes. We'll talk to you next week.